Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Janelli, and goblins are red, their victims are blue. If you cross Mr. Krenko, he'll get you too. I'm Lorelai Weissel. I'm a big time lesbian, my DMs are open, and that's all I need to say right now. This cast just got thirsty. <laughs> I'm Brian Dawes, and R4 is red, R2 is blue. If I was a fourth, then I'd be with you. <laughs> And I'm Ashley Barrow, and um, I don't have a Valentine's Day pun, so I googled them, and these, like, really suck. <laughs> so today on the Vorthos cast is our mailbag episode, but before we get to the listener questions that have poured in by the truckful, I want to mention very quickly that a new WizKids partnership product has been announced, Ravnica Inquisition which seems to be a hidden role deduction style game. So if you know Werewolf or Secret Hitler or Bang, it's, it's something in that vein. We don't know exactly what it's going to be yet, but uh, let's hope it comes out this year. Hold up, what is it called? Ravnica Inquisition. Sounds like a Dragon Age game. You're going to take the, on the role of the Inquisitor? And get a like a planeswalker spark in your hand that you can only use to seal time rifts. Yeah, that's gonna definitely make my blog not confusing for you guys. Sorry. <laughs> so it's called a social deduction game for five to ten players. It looks interesting. There are layers to it with the guilds and your roles and that kind of thing. So we'll have to see how it goes. The Heroes of Dominaria game looked interesting. It didn't look like a blockbuster game, but it looked interesting. It's just, it came out so late that any hype for Dominaria was like nine months past. Oh yeah, it is not doing well. If you follow Evan Irwin, he had some not great things to say about Heroes of Dominaria. That was just a timeline fiasco. Yeah, it's quite a shame. Yeah, but hopefully the simpler game and simpler materials to produce, because it's, it's just cards, will mean the timeline stays on track so that, it can, so that the hype can stay with it. I think those kinds of games are really things I enjoy, and I have a lot of friends who are also Magic fans that might enjoy a Magic Hidden Roll game. So, moving on to our mailbag for the week. Because there was no story this week. At MTG Deck Check asks, So what is the story with the ogres on Ravnica? It seems like never before have we had such a discrepancy in art direction. And what they are referring to is the ogres in Ravnica Allegiance specifically, there are like three different kinds of ogres we see just among like the gruel. And the reason for that is, well, the peoples of Ravnica are pretty diverse. And... If you look at all ogres on Ravnica, <laughs> there have been a lot of different kinds. And also, I think, you know, it's okay to have some what would essentially be like racial diversity amongst fantasy creatures. And this is how we see it for the ogres. They all look mostly the same. They just have different tones. I mean, if they all looked the same, they wouldn't really be ogres, would they? The word connotes kind of a, a gnarled, humanoid brute. And as long as they all convey that, that's 
good enough for me. I like diversity of phenotypes in fantasy species, especially humanoid ones, and ogres can all be kind of different and unique on a single world, then I support that decision. And layers. Yes, they have layers. The next question is from at Jeffrey's Comics on Twitter. If the Demir are supposed to be secret, why is their logo slash signet on everything that shows all 10 guilds? Wouldn't everyone seeing it be, hey, why is there 10? <laughs> uh, here we go. A good question, but the Demir guild hasn't been secret since Ravnica City of Guilds, the set. The Demir's clandestine operations are secret, but the Demir as a guild overall has public-facing outlets, especially now, that everyone knows about. They're the librarians, the messengers, that kind of thing. And even before then, they were still acknowledged as a mythical guild. People didn't know that they actually existed. They were viewed upon as something that may have faded into antiquity. One of my favorite pieces of art nerdery in Dragon's Maze is the card Maze's End that shows the Forum of Azor. Only has nine pillars and it's missing the Demir because it was built at a time when the Demir were supposed to be secret. Whereas after all the Ravnica sets, the Demir were public knowledge. But it stands as this relic from ancient Ravnica. Everyone knows they exist, but not everyone knows that they are assassins and marauders and thieves and criminals. So, like, in original Ravnica, they were, like, the Illuminati, where it, like, supposedly exists, but, like, you know it was fake. Turns out it was not actually fake, but that's the easiest way to think about it. They were, like, the Illuminati. So our next question comes from at Jason Vorthos on Twitter. Why do Orzhov giants have these strange helmets? Are they Cyclops? The answer to that is... It's really just kind of the Orzhov style. They're not Cyclops. If they were Cyclops, they would they would have a, the actual type. So they're not like one-eyed giants or anything. That's just the, the Orzhov style for their helmets. Our next question comes from at Marquez the GM on Twitter. The question is, can Flamekin be Planeswalkers? And the answer is... Yes. Probably. That is a question that's asked very, very commonly. So that is a question that's been answered on the Voice for Vorthos blog, which is a great place for Word of God for the couple years it was active. Doug Bear's blog. And the answer, I believe, was that if they are intelligent enough to have like a culture, then there's probably a good chance they can be planeswalkers even if they're not necessarily born the traditional way, but that's a little bit iffy. When people are asking this question, frequently I find they're trying to get at, can angels be planeswalkers? And the answer to all of those questions is yes, with the right circumstances. So like, can Flamekin be planeswalkers naturally? Probably, maybe. I don't think there are enough that there'd be very many. But here's the thing. We may have a fire elemental planeswalker already. Well, it's not confirmed. Back in the Armada comics, there was a character, Ash Warlord Emberek, who was one of the sages of Minerod that we like to chastise for being bad at keeping time. 
but he was a planeswalker who had some interactions with you know the other motley crew in that era of magic storytelling and he is illustrated with these like big stylized glowing eyes dark face spikes coming out of his shoulders and like a little volcano on the top of his head his species is never deliberately given in a comic but our good friend Biren Bohr over on Multiverse and Review has done all kinds of research into some of Armada's cancelled comics. So one that was supposed to come out was going to have a bunch of smaller stories that tied into a lot of the characters they had built over the years. In an interview he did with Jeff Gomez, who did a lot of the writing and production for the Armada comics, he asked about Emberex Origins and Jeff gave the statement that the Ash Warlords, which is this group that Emberic belongs to, emerged from within Dominaria through the mountain Oromon, which implies that they were living in the lava or in the crust, some kind of volcanic activity. And Burenvor notes that they're similar to these people called the Neroso from Dark Legacy, who are fire elementals from Dominaria's core, essentially. So it's possible that Emberek is already an existing fire elemental planeswalker. And if so, that's fascinating, and I would be excited to see one again. We should note with that as well that that is word of God from a creator from very, very early magic. So you know, it is a cool bit of world building and it's a cool idea, but it's not necessarily canon. It is not canon that he is a fire elemental, but it seems that he was intended that way, which is interesting. Our next question comes from at Keith Egan on Twitter. And the question is, can you talk about any known information on Circu, Demir Lobotomist, when able? The wiki page has next to nothing, and he wasn't talked about in the books, if I recall correctly. And the answer to that is no, because there's basically nothing on him. A lot of the guild champions from the first Ravnica block didn't have any lore associated with them. So while the guild leaders were frequently involved, the guild champions were only occasionally involved. Matka and the Sisters of Stone Death both appear. Agris and Razia both appear. But like Tybor and Lumia? No, there's nothing on them. Tulsimir Wolfblood? The only lore is an obscure reference that one of the wolves in the novel is a descendant of Voha. So, sorry, I <laughs> wish there was more to tell, but frequently the reason there's nothing in the wiki is because there's nothing actually there. I know for a long time I would go to the wiki and be like, there's got to be more than that. And I would go back and I would look at these com like the comics and this and that. I'd be like, there's not actually anything more than that. And it's very frustrating, especially when like there's a cool looking legend that has no lore associated with them. Our next question comes from, and I love this name, at Gatelmatel on Twitter. And the question is, what exactly is the nature of the Sisters of Flesh and Spirit? I've seen a few different takes, for instance, a stronger Michiko and Kyodai with new powers, a powerful spirit, a spirit mortal hybrid, 
but the material from then is so obscure and hard to find, I can't really find an answer. Well, the answer to that is we don't really know that one either. We know what they can do. The thing is, the last Kamigawa story ended with Kyodai and Michiko becoming the sisters of flesh and spirit. And they talk about how they're going to rework how magic works on Kamigawa. And then it ends because Toshi gets sent to Dominaria by the Myogen of Night's Reach. So we don't actually see what comes of those two. We see them again later in Future Sight when Nicol Bolas and Lashrak are having their final duel near the end of the book. And they are strong enough to give Lashrak, one of the most powerful, scary ancient planeswalkers, pause when he goes to approach the, the plane. And they're able to appear to him in the Blind Eternities. So that's really all we know about what they can do. Please, let's go back to Kamigawa. Just for one <laughs> sec, please. Pretty please. That's not an answer. Well, I mean, that's all you're getting from me, because you pretty much covered everything that I knew about him. The next question comes from at Vincent Alucard on Twitter, and the question is, what ecological catastrophe can happen if slivers are summoned in Velisvel? I think we've answered this one, but, like, my answer would be, it'd be like a stack overflow error on a computer. Like, the whole plane would just freeze... And some planeswalker would have to come by and hit Control-Alt-Delete on the outside of the plane to get it to start moving again. Because it would just fill up the plane's RAM. That's what Karn with the Golgothian Silex stops by. Boop! Activates it and planes walks off. Just blow it the heck up. <laughs> A casual drive-by nuking. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I mean, somebody's gotta hit Control-Alt-Delete and force quit it, quit it right? It's, might as well be Karn with the Golgothian Silex. When it comes to catastrophes that the slivers can bring about, I just have to like gesture vaguely at Dominaria for the 200 years between the Marari crisis and the Mending, where they were overrunning Otaria, showing up in Urborg, showing up very strongly in Keld and Banalia, so they were like all over Arona. And if they're in all those places, that means they're probably either also in Terrasier or also in Jamora, because those places are between those places. Like, they were just everywhere, killing all kinds of people, literally out of control. The fact that they were brought up in the Time Spiral novels as being a significant threat at the time, and them have not having any appearance on Dominaria bodes ill for them, but it makes you really wonder if, if all the rifts hadn't been a, an issue what would have happened? Like, I feel like the slivers might have still caused a significant threat to the plane by themselves. I know one of the answers Kelly or Ethan, one of them, gave in their uh, podcast about Dominaria about that was that a revitalized Dominaria means revitalized armies and revitalized magic and revitalized people. So, like, the Keldons and the Benelish can now, like, reinvigoratedly fight back against the slivers so that's probably a huge part of why they didn't show up in that set at least in terms of lore things because we mechanically know why because slivers take a lot of space our next question comes from at alexi sergeant on twitter besides the legendaries who have cards do we know the names of any ravnican vampires from lore flavor text guildmaster's guide style list etc 
asking for hashtag RPG reasons, smiley face. So my answer would be kind of? Jace's Vidalkin friend, Kavin, gets changed into a vampire by one of the carded vampires. I forget his name. What was the Return to Ravnica vampire? Mirko Vosk. Mirko Vosk, yeah. Turns Jace's friend, Kavin, into a vampire. But, like, he doesn't get to go do anything. He's kind of trapped underground and then eventually just killed by Lazav. Whenever you're looking for a question of this type, there are always lists of background characters on the wiki. You can search for list of secondary characters on Ravnica. Or, if you want something else, you can go to Scryfall, click on the advanced search, go all the way down to Lore Finder, and just type in Vampire and select, you know, the Ravnica blocks, and it'll bring up any instance of it appearing in flavor text, type, or name. And you can just scroll through that very quick and find something along those lines. If you enter has colon flavor, it'll only show you cards that have flavor text. Oh, that's handy. I didn't even know that one. Y'all can thank me for that one because I complained about it and then they implemented it because I was doing a thing and couldn't find the stuff I was looking for and then realized afterwards that I didn't actually need to do that search. I had a much easier way to find the cards I was looking for, and then was like, oops, sorry, I actually found an easier way to find what I wanted. And they were like, okay, but this is a good idea anyway. And I'm like, yay. Shout out to Scryfall, because they're great, and they have the best magic search engine ever. Literally ever. I use Scryfall all the time. I'll mention that I did, I'm not just saying, you know, go Google it yourself. But that's a strategy to use when you're looking for these kinds of things while you're developing RPG stuff. The real answer is, besides Kevin, no. So our next question comes from at Ectocooler Ranch. There have been at least two induced mergings of planes on Dominaria and Alara. Is this something that could happen naturally? Also, how does it work metaphysically? So the first question is, is this something that could happen naturally? And the answer is yes, because that's what happens on Alara. It wasn't actually induced. Alara was split apart. That was a force acted on the outside. But it's actually explicitly not Bolas who's bringing the planes, the shards, back together, but something that was going to happen anyway and that Bolas was taking advantage of. As to how it works metaphysically? Good question. How do you blend, how do you lay one or blend one reality on top of each other? Not peacefully, I would say, is the best way to put it. Because we also had it happen with Mercadia, not Mercadia, but Raph and Dominaria back in the invasion. But we never really got a true understanding of how the Phyrexians even got that to work. Because the story team invented a substance called Flowstone that they said allowed it to work. I would say, like, subplanes manifesting on planes also happened, like when Agyrum manifested on Ravnica. So, as to how it works, uh, well, so in Dominaria's case, the flowstone matched the Dominaria environment exactly, and Wrath is, was like an artificial plane? Yes. Again, it was, you know, the plot stone that they had. Alara was originally one plane to begin with, 
So it was more of a, how did they exist apart than a, how did they get back together? And on Ravnica, it just kind of overlaid because the spirit realm was intangible to the living realm anyway. So it wasn't as big a deal, ecologically speaking. As for the how does it work metaphysically for Alara, Doug Byer did answer this question in an old Saber the Flavor article. I will link to that article and y'all can read about it there. So the next question comes from Dan on our Discord server. Dan asks, there are a myriad of weapons that boast mighty powers across the multiverse. Is it possible to quantify the following in order of most powerful to least powerful? The Mirari Sword, the Black Blade, the Chain Veil, Godsend, the Weatherlight, or the Golgothian Silex? Ooh, this question. <laughs> I would like to voluntarily add the Apocalypse Chime to this, because let's make it more complicated. Oh, well then, it's definitely Apocalypse Chime is the most powerful. The Apocalypse Chime destroyed an entire planet by itself in, like, one ring. And for sure impacted planes in the vicinity of Ogratha. Beyond it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a big boom. I would say the Silex would be next because it destroyed, like, an entire continent, more or less, and ushered in ecological catastrophe across a plane. And opened the rift, yeah. It shattered an entire tectonic plate. And then caused an ice age. That also had metaphysical implications beyond Dominaria. That's when the Shard of the Twelve Worlds were created, where Dominaria and the eleven planes that were closest to it kind of got sealed off. So after that, the Weatherlight by itself... The Weatherlight with the rest of the Legacy, I would say, would be the next most powerful because it was able to kill Yagmoth combined with, like, the power of the Null Moon. That's where I'm going to break off with you, because I, I feel like the Null Moon was something entirely different. Oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. No, the Null Moon, I always forget this, because the legacy we the original Legacy Weapon Art has the first attempt to kill Yagmoth on it with a Null Moon that doesn't work. The actual Legacy Weapon, when it was like, Gerard put Urza's Power Stone Eyes into Karn, Everything fused, and, like, it created this massive blast that wiped out Yogmoth. If we say the legacy weapon, yes, but it's actually, like, a like a bunch of different items. Yeah, that, that's why, I, like, I would say the Mirari Sword before the Weatherlight by itself, but if you're talking the full legacy weapon, sure. Yeah, so after that, the Mirari Sword is very tempting because it creates a lot of magical power, but it's hard to wield. And the Black Blade I would also put up there because it, it did kill an Elder Dragon. Uh, I think the Mirari Sword's clearly above the rest of those. Mainly because Kamal was able to wield it, but he chose not to because of the power that it, it, it does put temptation into one. But the power that it does unlock is incredible. The Mirari's power, it does do things that, like none of these other things could possibly do. You have the huge tidal wave that Ashoban causes to flood Cabal City, and when the when it causes the Northern Order base to completely freeze over in the crystals, like, all of that stuff is ridiculous, and these are people who aren't even trained to use it. They're just using it willy-nilly. Like, if Kamal actively wanted to use it and channel the power in a way that once he was able to chain, like, to control his urges... 
I think it would have been infinitely more powerful than the things below it on the list. It's tricky because the Marari is an item that can take dreams and make them reality. Not dreams into reality like Nyx or something, but dream like aspirations into reality. It is dangerous <laughs> to, to, to put it as simply as possible. Yeah, but a lot of these things are dangerous, but it's just the manifestations that are caused by the Mirari, even without the sword, just the Mirari itself is, I feel, on another level of power than the other ones. It bends reality to the will of the holder, which is frightening. But yeah, moving on. The Black Blade's probably after. It can one-shot things, but you have to be close range, and it's a PvP weapon. We don't really know what the full power of the chain veil is either at this point yeah so some of these are very conditional with these other ones the black blade if you can get close enough to actually cut something the chain veil is also very powerful and we i don't think have seen the upper limits yet but it's powerful enough to damage emrakul the most powerful of the titans and that took a lot of power on zendikar to damage the eldrazi Godsend is extremely powerful in one very specific scenario in that when you are fighting a god on Theros. So if I had to choose between the Chain Veil, the Black Blade, and the Marari Sword on Theros or Godsend, I would probably go with Godsend <laughs> just because it is designed specifically to kill gods and we're not sure any of that other stuff can. I don't know. So that's the issue with like power rankings and magic in general, is a lot of things are very conditional. We can't say one thing is definitively more powerful than another, because it's not in every scenario. Nyssa on Zendikar is extremely powerful. Nyssa on Innistrad is an elf. That kind of conditional stuff is always an issue with these kinds of discussions. That's how a lot of things on in magic works. Like the metaphysics of each plane has different variations that can cause magic to work in different ways, giving planeswalkers and items different amount of power depending on where they are. So keep that stuff in mind when you're trying to make these rankings. But the items that were chosen for this list, half of them are clearly like the power levels are delineated, but a lot of the other items are kind of situational. Our next question comes from at Pseudosoldier on Twitter, and he asks, When Emrakul moved into Innistrad's Silver Moon, where did the hashtag Five-Legged Shrew go? <laughs> They're roommates. It's a five-bedroom apartment that the Shrew had to itself. So the Shrew has one room now. Now Emrakul has one, and then they keep another room open as a spare bedroom for when Meryl Age comes to visit her girlfriend. <clears throat> And what's the other two? They're still looking for more tenants. Yeah, I'm with the roommate thing. I agree with that. See no reason why the shrew would not still be there. All right, I can't top that one, so let's just move on. Our next question comes from at Vorthos Mike. We're Feather. Damn you, Mike. <laughs> you know we can't answer that on the podcast, so Brian and Ashley, go for it. Uh, the same place where Kamigawa is in my dreams, <laughs> looked upon lovingly and dreamt upon lovingly. Uh, she's sleeping. Feather hasn't been around, she's just been taking a really long nap. She's in the Broken Pact RPG. 
Yes, she is. So what I will say about Feather is that in the 2016 article from Mark Rosewater called Tell Me What You Want, Feather is on a list of eight characters that he mentions as being like the top characters requests for cards. Two of them have been made as cards in Commander products so far. Even if she if she does or doesn't appear in the story, she's probably going to get a card within the next year or two. I don't want to say that. She's probably going to get a card within the next few years because every time we go to a new Commander set, we're knocking something off this list. Ethan and Gavin are doing yeoman's work, so I have faith that it'll be done soon. Hopefully. I hope so, too. Our next question comes from Chris, also on our Discord server. If any plane has invented pizza, which one is most likely? What kind of toppings would be likely? What kind of question even is this, Chris? All right. Obviously, it's the Italy plane. Fiora. Incorrect. Whoa. Okay. All right. Let's hear it. Fiora is based on Renaissance Italy before their global exploration. Pizza only comes about in its modern form after tomatoes are imported from the New World. If a plane is going to have pizza on it, it's going to be Ixalan, the plane where a European-themed peoples are visiting a Central American-themed peoples, which is where tomatoes are from. It's a food that was cultivated by the Aztecs and other Mesoamerican peoples, brought back to Italy and Europe, and was a huge success because they make delicious pastes and sauces. And pizza as we know it today, that is one of the core ingredients. So if anyone's going to have what people would say is a modern pizza, it's going to be a Mediterranean flatbread, probably made in the free cities, with a tomato paste from Ixalan, and cheese from whatever animals are around Torzon. Dinosaurs. But it's not dinosaurs. <laughs> dinosaurs don't have cheese. <laughs> you don't know what kind of cheese it is. Oh my god. Oh, Never mind. Absolutely. The Kraft macaroni and cheese mascot is a cheese dinosaur, so that's clearly <laughs> canon with Ixalan. Dinosaur cheese. But toppings would probably include like dinosaur sausage or like dinosaur pepperonis. Let me throw you a curveball. You can make pizza like there's dessert pizza. I think by definition a pizza is any sort of round bread with something on top of it. That is not a pie or a sandwich, you know? So you could really make Eldrazi pizza if you wanted to. Okay, we have to pause for a sec because a comment was just made in Live Listen that reminded me of a thing that is canon. Thank you, Aluminum Can, for reminding me of core milk cheese from Zendikar. <laughs> Which is 100% a canon fact. The core do make cheese out of their milk. <laughs> Which has nothing to do with pizzas, but... It's required for a pizza. You have to have cheese on your pizza. That's a discussion for another time. But I forgot that that is a real thing that exists in the multiverse and has been confirmed. And now y'all know that the core of Zendikar make cheese out of their titty milk. So you're welcome. For what it's worth, there are people in the world on Earth who make cheese out of human milk. Is that more or less weird than um, using some random animal? It's worse quality. We don't make very good milk. I have something to say to you, Lorelai. I was right. 
the artwork for Besmirch shows tomatoes very clearly in Pollyano. Boom! <laughs> I don't want to drop this mic because it's expensive, but this is a mic drop. <laughs> right All right, let's see. Besmirch features a goblin who had just thrown tomatoes or something. But anyway, to the if you look to the bottom right, there's a fruit basket. Well, I'll be damned. In that basket are tomatoes. And there's garlic and everything. <laughs> and watermelons, which are from Egypt. I was like, while they're talking, let me just scroll through this art real quick to look at like the market scenes and the produce. <laughs> See how petty I can get. Next level, Jay. Wow. Well played. This is the absolute perfect time to be petty. <laughs> and I will concede, Fiora could have pizzas. I was just going to choose the easy answer and say Ravnica. But yeah, that's good stuff. Culturally, Fiora would be more likely to make it into pizza than uh, Ixalan would. But Ixalan was also a good option. Yes. Has been noted in the live listen chat that we still don't have confirmed flatbreads on Fiora, so checkmate, Jay. <laughs> does it have to be flatbread? I guess technically it does not. There could be Sicilian pizzas, and Sicilian pizza is phenomenal. Agreed. This was a good question. It ended up being very good. Unfortunately, we're not going to have time for every question we were asked. We got over 20. Last week was Valentine's Day, and we love y'all who are fans of this show. We love that you are big-time Vorthos fans for Magic. Love the response that we got, and we will get to your questions eventually, but we are going to go back to the normal two or three an episode type of thing. We got some really good questions we answered today. We got some good ones still left to go. So just want to thank all our listeners who, who submitted questions for this fun little episode. All right, let's move on to final thoughts. For me personally, it is very hard for me to be talking about magic when there's a new Link's Awakening remake coming out. And I just wanted to get that on the cast. It looks adorable. It's one of my favorite games of all time. It was, like, one of the few games I had on my original Game Boy. I've logged so many hours into that game. I just can't wait. It's, like, the first game that made me cry. It's beautiful. Lorelai? I am also excited for Link's Awakening. The art style is super-duper cute. But there's so much more than that that was announced last week. We had a Nintendo Direct focusing on Switch titles. Mario Maker 2. We got Mario Maker 2, yeah. We got more information about Yoshi's Crafted World. The Yoshi platformers are phenomenal. Yoshi's Willy World is one of the most fun game experiences. And having co-op on those games is phenomenal. I played Willy World with my friend Ken. We had so much fun playing through that game. But we also have Box Boy and Box Girl. New sequel to that franchise coming out. It's a really fun little puzzle game. The original ones were on the DS. And then on Valentine's Day, the day after, because, you know, God forbid they put all the announcements into the Direct, Team Cherry announced that they are releasing Hollow Knight 2, Silk Song, which follows Hornet, one of the characters you meet in the first game. So you play a different character in a different world and a different story, and mechanics look slightly different. But, like, Hollow Knight is one of the best Metroidvanias I've ever played. It is super cute, super creepy, phenomenal music fascinating world 
unimaginably deep gameplay for an action platformer. And I'm so excited for this next game. I might finally have time to play through some of these indie games that I've been meaning to get to for a while. Indie games have never been better. And like, I love Metroidvanias and lots of people love Super Metroid. And the people who grew up playing Super Metroid are now making video games. There are so many good indie Metroidvanias out right now. I've been in heaven for the last couple of years. Brian? My final thought is that Critical Role is back from a week of vacation, and I'm super excited about it. So, yeah, between that and The Broken Pact, it's a good week for me. So, Is The Broken Pact back soon? They started back Monday. Nice. I really enjoyed that. Ashley? Okay, so I was shopping on SeatGeek, and uh, deep in the um, D&D category, I found uh, one. They have one magic product. It is Nickelball Socks. What? And the calendar. They also have the calendar, but, like, they have uh, Nickelball Socks. It's in the D&D category, though. I ended up just buying the calendar. It's early enough to buy a calendar, right? Uh, and if you want to know why I was on SeatGeek, I was... Purchasing for myself a Valentine's Day gift of the uh, Nick Valentine bundle. <laughs> That's my present to me. I thought that was very fitting. I'm I'm looking. Hold on. I want. I I need to find these Nickelbola socks. Magic the Gathering nickel socks. Everyone's favorite evil elder dragon. They have the calendar, and. They still license D&D stuff, so I'm pretty sure it's legit. I mean, it's ThinkGeek. All their stuff's licensed. The Bolo Socks are 100% legit. I have seen them elsewhere. All right. So we want to thank everyone for listening to this week's mailbag episode. You might have noticed that we answered a couple questions from folks on our Discord. If you want to be part of our Vorthos cast community on Discord, you can head over to patreon.com slash thevorthoscast. Everyone who donates to support our show gets an automatic invitation to Discord and to be part of that community. We have a blast every week, and one of our rewards in the higher tiers is a live listen, where you can tune in as we record the show Thursday nights around 7.30 Eastern. It's been a fun perk. There's lots of behind-the-scenes things. Plus, you get to listen to the episodes a couple days before they are released to the public. And you get to ask Arjun questions. That's the most important part. <laughs> yes, if you listened to last week's episode, Arjun popped on and, and we got to chat for a bit. Usually I edit him out because he's more disruptive, but uh, it was pretty structured last week. That was fun. Like I said, patreon.com slash thevorthoscast. We love everyone who follows our show. love everyone who supports our show. We could not continue making it without you. Thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthoscast.